0: If you turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, our message will be from verse 7, and verse 7 will bring to a conclusion a small series within this overall series of Philippians we've been in for quite some time, and it will bring to conclusion what we've had since verse 1 of this chapter. So verses 1 through 6 are going to be encapsulated, if you will, by verse 7. But I'm going to read from verse 1 to remind us of where we were before. I won't make any comments except during the message. And one reason for this is this verse that I'm going to focus on in the preaching is all about God and only about God. And yet it flows logically from what was preached to us from these verses ahead about our responsibilities to each other before God. So, Philippians chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. I appeal to Iodia and I appeal to Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The Lord is near. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Excuse me, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now our verse for this morning, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, the subject of this verse bringing, as I said, conclusion to all the instruction that we have before is the peace of God. If we believe the Word of God, which we do, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe that the preacher is called to preach the Word in season and out of season. In other words, the preacher, your preacher, is to be always ready to declare the Word to you in an understandable way. In other words, I'm to understand the Scripture, I'm to work on my understanding of the Scripture so that I can repeat it to you in a way that gains your understanding so that we all know what to do according to the Word of God. And yet, what I just read to you in this verse gives me a a task that is really impossible. It says that the subject of this last verse, verse 7 in Philippians 4, Is the peace of God and immediately we have that description of it it passes it surpasses it goes beyond all understanding does it go beyond my understanding because I have some intellect yes would it go beyond yours if you have great intellect and great understanding if you have the greatest understanding of all people who ever lived say even greater than Solomon who was wiser than anyone other than Jesus if you had such understanding this subject of this verse the peace of God would surpass it all and so I am tasked this morning to declare to you and to make understandable to you that which the Word of God which I am tasked to declare to you says is beyond our understanding if nothing else from all that introduction here let us pray for your preacher As he makes understandable that which the scripture says goes beyond all understanding. It surpasses it all. Well, the subject of this verse is the peace of God. The subject is the peace of God. And in this verse, there's only two verbs. And one verb describes the peace of God, it surpasses. It surpasses all understanding. The other verb is guard. It will guard. This peace of God does something. It guards us in our heart and in our mind. Just those two verbs showing God by his peace, being our guardian, watching over us in the inner man, giving us protection as he watches over his church, watches over his people. And this peace that does so, this ununderstandable. This surpassing all knowledge piece is what we need to gain an understanding of. So it surpasses our abilities to realize what it is and it guards us. God is our divine guardian. He protects those who, if I go back a few verses, rejoice in the Lord, that's verse 4. Those who are reasonable with one another in their spirits to each other, that's verse 5. Those who trust God and make their requests to him with thanksgiving, that's verse 6. So let us go through this point by point. And I'll divide it up into four points, and we're going to take them pretty much in order. Because we have the main point, which is the peace of God, and we'll take that first. And after that, we're going to take the first word of the verse, the word and, which is more important than you might think, and take that second. Third, what it means to guard and what is being guarded. And finally, we will end with those beautiful words, in Christ Jesus. We begin with Paul's main subject for this verse, and that's the peace of God. Peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Peace in the Bible. The whole concept of peace in the Bible is something that goes well beyond the idea of having no trials or no tribulation or no enmity with anyone. We know this from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself when he says after in chapter 14 and verse 27 of the book of John saying my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace do I give you peace. And then just A short time later in that discourse, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. Can we say in this world you will have a lack of peace? But it's a lack of outer peace. It's a lack of peace according to the world around and the enmity that Christ's disciples, he says, will always encounter. Peace in the Bible, the peace of God that is being spoken of here, is much deeper and goes well beyond the idea of just not having enemies or just not having trials or just not having tribulations. It is the ultimate peace of the Old Testament. That word shalom so familiar to us. Shalom, inner peace, well-being and confidence, wholeness of person, if you will. There's so many things we can read into that word with peace of shalom. just gets us a bare toehold on what it means the peace of god the philippians who first heard this would have thought immediately of something we call pax romana the peace of rome the peace that the roman empire brought about against the nations that they conquered you know the way i said that they imposed their peace on people, but the people in Philippi, the believers in the church there, would have thought of that Pax Romana. Philippi, as you recall from the preaching before, was a very important Roman colony. It did all it could to be like Rome. They acted as much as they could in the fashion of Roman people. The city was built to look like Rome, and in the city was a garrison. A garrison manned, of course, by soldiers and by magistrates, magistrates similar to what we would call police officers today. And in that garrison, they housed the soldiers and their task was, their job was to guard the peace. It was very important to them. And just as if we were in Marin and I was preaching something about Paul being in prison, you would immediately think of San Quentin or something like that. So also these people in Philippi, when Paul mentions the peace of God or wrote of the peace of God and how it guards, that's what they would have thought of. The Roman garrison guarding Pax Romana how important was peace to them well if we read in Acts chapter 16 and mainly verses 16 to 24 we read of the Apostle Paul the same Apostle who wrote this letter for us when he first came to the city where is housed this church that he's writing to in the book of Philippians when he first came there in Acts 16 he came across a girl who was possessed by a spirit that gave her a, a, an ability to be a prophet, to speak divination and such like that. And you recall that her owners made a lot of money from her. Well, Paul got tired of her calling out things to him. We're not gonna go into a lot of detail there. And he cast the demon out. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave her alone, really. And it caused a great stir because the people who owned her had lost the prophet. Now, this was a disturbing of the peace. And this was something more than if you remember the opening of the first movie in Lord of the Rings when Frodo tells Gandalf that because of some fireworks and some mishaps, he was one of the worst things in in the Shire, a disturber of the peace, to which Gandalf smiled. But they did not smile in Philippi when Paul disturbed the peace. He was beaten with lictor rods. Now, for homework don't get your smartphones out now but for homework you can look up what a lictor rod was and it was these magistrates who had these big clubs like i don't know how quite to describe them look them up later and with that they would beat people who disturbed the peace and that's why paul received the beating that you read of in acts chapter 16. it was a vicious beating it was very close to what you might be called a scourging and there was chained to a wall, imprisoned in Acts 16, as it goes on, then the angel comes, or the earthquake comes, and the chains fall off, but they stay there, and the Philippian jailer is saved, and so forth. But this is what would have come into their mind when Paul wrote of the peace of God guarding this peace of God that passes all understanding. Some of you might have thought immediately, when I spoke of the peace of God, and you realize that that's the main subject, you might have gone quickly to Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace, as glorious and as wonderful as it is, is a very different peace than what we have here in chapter four, verse seven of Philippians. You see, the peace of God, that you have by the cross of Jesus Christ, therefore, having been justified by faith. Justified by faith because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. What does that peace mean? Well, that first of all is a peace that you have. It's a declarative peace. It's something that God has granted. You have laid down your arms against him because God gave you faith to believe. That's not quite the peace that we're speaking of in chapter 4 and verse 7, this peace that passes all understanding. We're looking for a peace that surpasses anything we can imagine. Uh, how do we say it today that I can't get my mind around that? And this has got to be like that. I can understand chapter 5 verse 1 as wonderful as it is and as amazing as the cross of Jesus Christ and the mercy of of the forgiveness that we have because he there on the cross paid for our sins, as incredible as that is, I can sort of get my mind around that, and many of you can Is a declared peace. What we're looking for is this peace that we can't understand. The peace of God is a very unique construction The peace of God. We don't have anything like that in the Bible, except maybe Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, which speaks of the peace of Christ, or the peace of Jesus. The way it's constructed in the original language, what this peace is that is going to guard you in your heart and in your mind, what this peace is, this peace of God, is the peace that God has in and of Himself. Now this, we could say in the 21st century, this kind of blows your mind. Or do we even speak that way anymore? But you get the intent of what I'm trying to say here. This is something bigger than we can understand. The peace that God has in and of himself, of his own person, is what we're going to find guarding us in heart and in mind later on in this verse. It's God's satisfaction with himself. Now, if we were to say, I have that peace, and therefore I'm satisfied with myself, well, that would be presumptuous. That would be conceited. But God, because he's all perfect. God, because he's all holy. God, because all his works are done in righteousness. God, because everything he does is right and good and perfect and purposeful. God, because he's God, is satisfied within himself by all his works, by all his words, by all his deeds. There's nothing that can impugn his character anywhere, in all the universe, which, of course, he made and called into existence. There's nothing that can come against him. And so this peace of God, I think, are you beginning to see how it surpasses your understanding? Because this peace of God that's going to guard you is the peace that God himself has in and of himself. God's confidence in himself. God's satisfaction with his own works. This peace is his very nature. If you look back at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, where the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, the original creation, when God first called it to in, into existence, was formless and void. A Hebrew term, a Hebrew phrase that speaks of chaos, of purposelessness, and immediately the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters and calling it point by point by point, day by day by day, into order to accomplish God's purposes. And each time, God says, it was good. God says, what I did was good, if you will. That's the satisfaction that God has in himself. That's the confidence. That he, God the Father, has declared the beginning from the end. Tomorrow doesn't bother him or concern him, not because He's confidence it's going to work out well, but because he declared it. This is the peace of God, surpassing our understanding that we're going to come to that will guard us. You and I cannot have this kind of satisfaction. You and I cannot have such confidence or self. You might claim it, but if you do, it's an illusion. Is presumptuous we don't have it but we do benefit by it you cannot have such self-satisfaction as God has obviously and yet God in his mercy God in his grace would have us benefit by this peace so that's the peace of God and that's passing all our understanding all our ability to finally get our arms completely around it you can't do it not just because we're not smart enough but because the scripture says it passes your understanding and anytime we think we've got it anytime you've wrapped it up in a phrase or a paragraph or a novel or a book or a library full of books or a city full of libraries full of books you will find that it doesn't get there it doesn't explain it it's the peace of God that God has in and of himself in his own person his own satisfaction with his word with his deeds with his own nature. That's first. This peace of God watching over us, guarding us. And I want to come to the word and. And is very important because and brings together the verses that were before this, verses one through six, those things that relate to us. If verse seven has very little we can do to apply it to ourselves because it's all about God and it's all about God in an aspect of God, this surpasses our ability to understand, which it is. The word and, brings to bear on this verses one through six. In the original language, it's the word chi, which is also like and three letters. It's K-A-I or Kappa Alpha Iota. Used here, What it speaks of is not, and I have more to say, but and in the way of consequence, in the way of result. Let this surpass your understanding because what the scripture is saying here is, verse one, finally, my brothers, whom I love and long for, stand firm thus in the Lord. As you stand firm thus in the Lord, as Paul has explained throughout that letter, as you stand firm in the Lord, the peace of God, which surpasses your understanding, will guard you. I appeal to Yodi, I appeal to Sanctity, to agree in the Lord. As, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women. What does this mean to us? What does this mean to you this morning? It means that as you work towards unity amongst the brethren, as you are a peacemaker and bring peace between people who should be at peace with one another but are at war with one another, like Iodia and Syntyche, as you enter into that, as you obey the apostle, writing by inspiration of God, the peace of God guards you. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. If we're rejoicing in the Lord, when do we not have cause to rejoice? Because as it says, later the Lord is near. And as you rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, the peace of God guards you. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. As we are reasonable with one another, do you recall the preaching? As we treat each other. As you treat that brother, sister, and the Lord, especially the one by whom you are building up an offense or there has been an offense, and you treat them the way God in Christ has treated you, Ephesians 4.32, forgiving one another. As you enter into that obedience, the surpassing knowledge piece of God guards you in your heart and in your mind. same is true... As you make your requests known to God, that God, the God of peace, with his own peace, that self satisfaction that he has, is guarding you and protecting you. And we'll come to what it means to be guarded and protected. For now, let this surpass our understanding that the peace of God himself is your guardrail, it is the garrison around you, it is guarding, if you will, your peace. So the peace of God is God's own peace within Himself, Father, Son, Spirit. All His works are done in righteousness, so all His works are done well. Everything God does, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. We'll come back to that later before the preaching's over. This is very important in this message. And, and as a consequence of working towards unity and rejoicing and being reasonable and making requests known, This peace of God is your guardian. And it will guard. It will guard you, is our third point. As I said, in in the Philippian context, they would have thought of that garrison there. If we lived in Seaside, you would be thinking of Fort Ord. It's not there anymore. There used to be an army base there near Seaside, California, just north of Monterey. You would think of Fort Ord right away if we thought of garrisons. It's a guardianship Is God watching out? Is God in this garrison standing as military, if you will, and protecting those who are inside and being guarded in that way? more than just watching out for something like a Brinks guard where he's watching out for the money in that armored car. The Garrison fortress has just this one mission in life to protect something at any and all hazards. The word guard your heart and your mind is not the common word for guard. It's only used a few times in all of scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32, is used of Paul when he escaped Damascus. At Damascus, the governor under King Artus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, says the Apostle Paul. Every exit was closed up and guarded. It was tight as a drum, as we might say. So it had to be lowered down through a basket because it was being guarded in this way. Galatians chapter three verse twenty-three. Now before faith came, we were held captive. We were guarded. We were guarded. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. First Peter one five. Peter also uses this word of Christians. He says, Christians by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here is what it means that God is guarding your heart and your mind. He's watching out in this way so that to escape Damascus in this way, the city being guarded like that, Paul had to be left out, let down through a basket or by a basket. Being guarded by the law until faith came. Being hedged in by it and nothing can escape. God by his peace guarding In that way what does it mean to be enwrapped by this peace of God as a result of these things verses 1 through 6 and then this garrison that God has watching out for you well really it's it's almost like an invitation to share in this character of God to have that kind of confidence now we can't have this confidence in self you and i cannot be so self-satisfied as i said that'd be presumption that would be conceit but you and i as we are in christ jesus which is how the verse ends in christ jesus we can have this level of satisfaction but not in ourself but in god in what god has done in the works of god as god himself is satisfied with his own works Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you repented of your sins and come to Him for forgiveness? Do you have that new heart that we're going to speak of in a few moments? If you have, this means that God has done a work in you with which you can be fully satisfied. The way God is satisfied with all His works. Because if you have a new heart, it's nothing that you did, for by grace we've been saved through faith and is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not from works, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Do you have that heart to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? I would tell you to be satisfied with it. You know, for the Christian, there's no kicking of the toe along the ground and looking down and calling myself just a Lousy sinner who deserves for the worm to always be eating away at me. All I deserve is hellfire forever. No See that's prior to that new heart being put in you We are born by nature children of wrath and there's nothing we can do about it For you who are dead in trespasses and sins and what you once walked, you were dead There's nothing you can do to revive yourself but God who is rich in mercy. According to Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, took out that heart of stone, that heart that made you by nature a child of wrath, gave you a new heart, a heart of flesh that can believe in him. And with that heart, because and acknowledging and thanking him for it, because it is a work of God and only of God, it is as satisfactory a work as each day of creation. It's as good a work because it's a work of God by His Son Jesus Christ and the cross and the faith that He gave us applied to you by the Spirit of God because of all these things that is something to be satisfied in as God Himself is satisfied in Himself and that is the peace of God that is guarding you, guarding your heart and your mind. What is heart and mind? Well, it speaks of the whole person. Jesus Christ said that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Could we say from the overflow of the heart, the mind thinks? The heart being that inner man, the heart being that heart that I just described, that gift of God to which he gets all the glory and in which you should be satisfied the way God is satisfied in all his works. The mind is your thought process. The mind is your worldview. Your mind is the mind of Christ. As you look to the word, we have the wisdom of Christ in this word from him. Why would God so carefully, and by this unique, surpassing all understanding aspect of himself, this peace of God, let's ask ourselves for a moment, why would he guard your heart and your mind like that? Let's go especially for the heart. Why would God guard your heart? My heart, your heart, anyone's heart who is Jesus Christ. What, what would make him do that? Why would Paul, under inspiration of God himself, write a verse like this? That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Well, as I said, the heart is the new heart, the heart that God gave you. The heart that is only his to give. It's a heart that needs guarding. Why does it need guarding? It needs guarding because it's it's surrounded by the flesh. It's surrounded by the flesh. The flesh is warring against that heart, that new spirit. Now, the peace of God is protecting us, and the peace of God is God's own peace within himself, which it is, if you're a Christian, we don't have that kind of inner peace, do we? We can't have, according to Galatians chapter 5, and beginning of verse sixteen it is well known to us, but it speaks of this war within. And here's the reason we need to be guarded by God's peace. Beginning of verse sixteen, the apostle says, "But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. The Spirit is that new heart. The Spirit is that remade you, that work of God with which we must be satisfied because it is a work of God. And we are continuing works of God. We are being formed into the image of Christ Jesus our Lord, and it will not end in this life. But nonetheless, in this process, the desires of that Spirit, of that new heart, of that remaking of you by God, is against the flesh they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do but if you're led by the spirit you're not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of angers rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and against and things like these which Paul warns us I always read that fast because there's so many of them I'm afraid I'm going to run out of breath before I get to the end of these. Why do we need to be guarded? Because those things are what the flesh reminds us of. Because while the new heart pumps real life into you, this heart of flesh, this new heart repents of sins and wants to be more like Christ and wants to measure closer and closer to his image, even knowing that it's impossible in this life. Is surrounded by flesh that reminds so strongly of the old pleasures, of the old desires, of the old enmities, the willingness to hold grudges, the lack of unity. Think again, Philippians chapter 1, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and syntax and unity, and how important that was to the apostle. The old heart. That had nothing to rejoice in except its own self. The new heart now rejoicing in Christ, but always being reminded of these other things because it is embedded in the flesh, which is at war with the spirit. This is why we need this guardianship by God. How does God guard us by this peace? I think, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace I live with you, John 14, 27. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us peace. He's speaking there the night before his cross, where he would win our peace, the peace I spoke of in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus is going to leave that peace with them. He's going to justify the disciples and then those who believe the word of the disciples later by faith and give us peace with God from that. But this guardianship by, God, by Christ's peace, how does that work? What does that mean to us? Well, here I go to John chapter 10, and you might turn there. Just read a few verses. But think of this protection that God gives us, this guardianship by his peace. While our heart and our spirits are, excuse me, our hearts and our flesh are at war with each other. The one reminding the other of the old things, the old ways, the old temptations, the old gratifications, and the heart resisting it. So you have this conflict. Where's our protection? Where's our comfort? John chapter 10, beginning at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, standing at the pen, the fold, the sheep pen, in which his people are. And he's the one standing at the door. He's the one guarding and protecting. He's the one. Guarding your heart and your mind in himself. Sorry, the breeze keeps blowing. My scripture closed. He says then in chapter, in, in verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the garrison in which the God of peace, the God's own peace, gives you that protection. Watches over your heart and your mind that inner man that God has recreated, him watching over it and keeping you from the old temptations and the old ways and the old gratifications. Do you have this peace? Do you know what it means to have this kind of struggle between the good heart, the new heart, the right heart, the heart that God gives you and the inner spirit? Too many people don't struggle at all. They don't even think about the goodness of God. They just go on their merry way and never even acknowledge what their conscience is pricking them to acknowledge, which is that they're doing wrong. They're going the wrong direction. I love the example that Pastor Owens gave us of his brother stealing his money and selling something back to him. I mean, it just made me laugh when I thought of the old days. He could do things like that and think it was harmless. And yet as he just taught, it's not harmless. It's an affront to God is deserving of death. Too often we just shrug those things off. I would call you to a conflict though. I would call you to acknowledging those things being wrong, to repent of that, to come to Christ, to seek His forgiveness. I would call you to the conflict, to the battle within between the new heart and the old flesh, but a battle which because of Christ Jesus and what he has done on the cross, we have the victory. We don't have final and absolute and total victory over our sin in this life, but the victory ultimately is ours. And as the struggle ensues, as we obey the scripture, again, verses 1 through 6 of Philippians 4, working towards unity, rejoicing in the Lord, being reasonable with one another, making requests to be known to God, he molds us and shapes us and protects us. Perhaps it works like this. As we take that one step forward into Christ's image, that one faltering, stuttering step towards his image and accomplish more of his image within, perhaps he puts an extra layer of protection around that one. So okay, we have this, now let's move on to the next. We're never totally satisfied the way God is within, in, within himself. We're always stretching out for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We're always working towards that image that God predestined us to be conformed to, which is Christ. The confidence we can have in that is that it is God who did the work in us that gave us the desire to move there in the first place, satisfied with what he has done and always moving towards the right image, which is Christ. The peace of God that is guarding you, that we can't understand, is a peace that God has in his own person because of his person. I want to close by reminding you that our God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. If you have within you this disorder, if your ways are beginning to bother you in some way that you just can't quite get over it, you just can't quite put it aside, you can't quite ignore these little pricks that maybe you can even say are pricks to your own conscience. You're beginning to be stirred up. You're beginning to be chaotic about it. And you're wondering which way to go, what to do, where to go with that. I point you to Christ Jesus our Lord. I point you to faith in what He has done for you on the cross, where He died for your sins. The stirring up would remind me of the creation waters. All stirred up, all formless, all void, unable to withhold, to hold God's purposes until He by His Spirit formed them. And time after time he says, and it was good, and it was good. On the third day, he says it twice. So you have these eight words for creation and then two words to the man, to Adam, to give him custody of it. So can we think of 10 words bringing order, 10 words bringing peace? Centuries later, 10 words from Sinai bringing order, bringing peace, if you will, to Israel. And now today, speaking one word in Christ Jesus, the very word of God, I call you to him. I call you to faith in him. Chapter 85 and verse 8 says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not return, let them not turn back to their folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Call upon God and listen to what he will speak. Listen quietly and see if he will speak peace to his people. Go to him for forgiveness of your sins. Go to the cross of Christ. The scripture says if you call upon his name, if you believe in what he has done, you will be saved. Well, this brings to a close just this last part of chapter 4, excuse me, this first part of chapter 4 of Philippians. The doing part is now set before you unity, rejoicing, the reasonableness, the requesting. And now you know that as you do these, as you do your part, as you obey the word of God through the Apostle Paul, that it's God's peace, his very peace, his ununderstandable peace, his surpassing all knowledge peace that is guarding and protecting you as you're found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day once again that you've given us and for bringing us together in this way, for the lovely weather, for all things, but most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the peace that we have with you because of him. And we thank you, Father, by your very own peace, by the peace that you alone have in yourself, that you are protecting and guarding and watching with us. And we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.